actually drank for the first time I was by myself. And this is an indicator of like who I was from the jump. I was by myself, it was after school, school day. I'm like 13 years old and I, maybe 14, 14 years old and I got into my parents' liquor cabinet and poured a shot. First, I, I put on Pac. I had on Tupac. And I had my wife beater on in the kitchen, and I poured a shot, and I was like, oh, this feels great. I wonder what two feels like. Two feels great. I wonder what four feels like. Four feels great. Pretty soon, I'm at 12 shots. I weigh like a buck 25. By myself on a school day, 12 shots in. First time ever drinking alcohol. That's not people like, yo, keep going. That's me by myself, dolo, in the kitchen. Like, I can't stop. I can't turn this off. This, this feels good. I want to keep going. Weed played a, a huge role in my life. Um, you know, I was just, the, again, the type of dude that was like, show up at school at 7.45 in the morning, be like, let's skip class. You got five, you got five. Let's smoke a blunt. You know, uh, I don't really want to go to third period. All right, I'm going to go to school after lunch. You know, just that was my high school experience for the first, like, for the first year. And around that time is actually when, I mean, I'd been rapping since I was 13, 14, but around 15, freshman year of high school is when, um, you know, I, I realized that music and me did not work if I was under the influence. I would literally smoke and stare at a blank piece of paper for 20, 30 minutes until I was like, all right, I give up. And again, this went on for long periods of time. And I would always, you know, the thing that pulled me back from that was knowing that I wanted to be a musician and that if I wanted to do this, I had to get sober. So I would go like a month and be sober and make a bunch of music and then fall back off and, and vanish for you know a couple months and then go back and forth like that and that's how i made music for the majority of you know my my teen years 20s all that if i'm using drugs and alcohol it means that i've i've given up on my fullest potential oxy was the most intense drug and i didn't even do it for long like i did it maybe like three times in increments of like five days, six days, stop. Three months later, five days, six days, stop. I might have done that two or three times. But seeing what it did in that amount of time, the power, I mean, it's synthetic heroin. That's what it is. It's the definition of it. And um, seeing the grip that it had and just doing it for five or six days sweating through my sheets coming off of it. Like literally like you could wring out the sheets, um, shaking. I remember like, you know, it was, it was at the end and I was like, all right, I gotta, you know, I had to go to like a family function. I was like, I gotta stop this. And I remember like going outside and, and just bawling. Like there is no happiness left in my body in my mind, there is no serotonin, there is nothing that, that's, that's making me happy, that's gone. You realize why, you know, this, this pill stuff has become an epidemic.
we went on a family trip to to Europe. My brother was was living out in Europe. He was in college, and we went on a family trip to visit him. And I remember getting over there and getting sick like immediately. It was kind of like I was dope sick. And I don't think that my parents really liked me, to be honest. Um, just the selfish nature of addiction, it is so prevalent. It becomes like you don't care about anything else. So that was one of the things that, you know, my parents know me better than anybody on this earth. My brother knows me better than anybody on this earth. You know, you can tell. And as good as I might have got it hiding it on the surface, like, you know, I might be able to walk into a room and you wouldn't know that I was, had just smoked a blunt outside. But in terms of my overall just, just joyfulness, if that sucked out of you, the people that love you know, and my parents knew, the way that I treated my girl, um, the lies, the cheating, um, and it comes back to the selfishness. It comes back with trying to fill a void. I mean, for me at that time period, like women were the same thing as, as what the drugs were trying to occupy. That, that escape, that, that filling a void. Um, and the complete discarding of someone else's emotions and well-being for your own selfish needs in that moment. Um, it wasn't anything that I said, and you know, anything that jumps out at me that I said, but it was an action that I know deeply, deeply, deeply hurt the person that loved me the most. And, you know, thankfully, eight years later, or, or eight years into this relationship, five and a half years later, um, you know, that trust has been rebuilt. It was my dad who came to me and was like, you know, I know you're using again. I know you're not happy. What are you doing with your life? You're 25 years old. What's going on? Um, I think that you should go to rehab. And you know, if it wasn't for that conversation, and if it wasn't for me taking that conversation and, and actively going and seeking help, um, I might not be here. In fact, if I wouldn't have got sober, I, there's 100% I would not be in this chair right now. Um, it, took, it took some time, but once I got into rehab and my parents saw me reacting, like passionately going about getting clean. Like I wanted that. I wanted that from when I was 16. I wanted it from when I was 17, when I was 22, 23. I wanted to get clean. Like I, I knew, again, that my highest potential, that the place that I was the most spiritual, the place that I was the most rich in terms of my, my life and my livelihood and my art and creativity was when I was sober. It was other things that were pulling me down, back into that place of using. I wanted that from that age, those ages. I just didn't know how to do it on my own. So if it wasn't for that rehab center, I probably wouldn't be here.
In terms of recovery, it has been very important for me to be a part of a recovery community, to actively be around my people because they understand me. They get it, you know? You getting that from, the, from an outside perspective is one thing. You know, someone that doesn't have your issues telling you like, yo, you're not as tight as you are when you're like this. That's one thing. But to be around your people that had the same disease, have conversation about it, check in, hold each other accountable, inspire each other, that has meant a lot to me. There was times at, at the heist, making the heist, at the, at the end of it, when I was like, the pen is exhausted, I don't know what else to rap about, there's no more subject matter I can cover, maybe I should just get some Adderall. Like, I remember talking to Ryan and Trisha, my girl, about it. Like, yo, what do you guys think if they're like, yo, you are tripping? Like, that's a shortcut, and it might work for a song, but then what happens if you write a song that's, that's great off some Adderall? And then you feel like every, you know, and then the next time you try it without it and it doesn't work, you're like, okay, I need that Adderall. That is the reason why that song was successful, because of this drug. But it doesn't last like that, you know? Drugs are something that um, they wear you down. And for me, if I have one successful experience, I'm going to feel like I need to keep trying to get that. I'm going to keep trying to seek that one, that one revelation or that one time where that happened and that was good. And, but it doesn't work like that. One of, my, one of my friends, he grew up, he was, all, he was maybe like five, six, seven years younger than me. He was like the little kid up the block. And I ran into him. I had maybe been sober for a couple months. And I ran in, into him at a meeting. He was like 20, I was like 26. And we, you know, started kicking. I hadn't seen him for years. And we started like going to meetings together. And he was addicted to Oxycontin. He had horrible anxiety, really bad anxiety. And was really into pills. And he'd go for like, you know, get a month. And he was just one of those people that when he shared in a meeting, when he talked in a meeting, the room lit up like he had one of those type of personalities just transparent just say exactly what was going on in his mind like if he was like he would be like i want to go get loaded right now that's why i'm here i'm talking about it you know this is what i'm going through i could use some support he just had one of those like this person is real they are they are tangible i can feel their spirit in this room and you know he was he was a rapper and he wasn't very good but he was a rapper. And, you know, I always said, like, if you get, like, you know, two weeks, I'll bring you to the studio. Get two weeks. Show me that you're trying. I'll bring you to the studio. And um, he got two weeks. So I brought him to the studio. And I remember driving the studio and freestyling in the car and getting there. We recorded, me and Ryan recorded, like, three or four songs of his. And, um, you know, sent him home with the CD. First time that he had ever heard himself in headphones. And, um... I got a call, dropped him off at his house, and I got a call from his sister the next day, and um, she told me that Kevin had overdosed last night and died. And he was 20 years old. Um, you know, he, he got home and 
hit the studio, got home, and celebrated. And, and never woke up from that. And, um, you know, I, I know how closely I've walked that line. I know that I'm not far away from that, regardless of where I'm at, regardless of what TV show you see me on, or, you know, what red carpet or award show or, you know, whatever, I'm not far away from that. I never will be. And if I don't share Kevin's story, if I don't participate in a community of sobriety, I can very easily wake up, not wake up like Kevin. To me, the easiest way to give advice is to just ask questions. That person already knows the answer. They might not know that they know the answer, but if you ask the right questions, the truth comes out. Are you happy? How could you be happier? Are you fulfilled? Do you feel connected? Do you feel supported? Why not? Who are your friends? Who are the people that love you? What's your passion? What do you want to do with this short time that you have on this earth? You ask somebody those questions in the right setting, they're going to they're gonna come with some answers that will reflect some truth about what they're going through. And then from there, depending on their answers, guiding them to a community that can be supported. I know how much artists artist influenced my life. Like growing up, listening to, um, you know, Black Alicious, like the words of Gifted Gab really put me on a certain path. It, it brought me closer to God. It was a means of, it was my means. What I didn't get from church or what I didn't get from organized religion, I got through music. I know that power. And if I have a gift in any capacity with words and I don't use that power, power or utilize that power, I'm not doing my job. And you can call that a responsibility. Um, call it whatever you want, but, but I know my truth. I've seen my people's dreams die. I've seen what they can be denied. The weed's not a drug that's denial. Groundhog day life repeat each time. I've seen Oxycontin take three lives. And I grew up with them, we used to chief dimes. I've seen cocaine bring out the demons inside. Cheating and lying. Friendships cease, no peace in the mind. Stealing and taking anything to fix the pieces inside. Broken, hopeless, headed, nowhere. Only motivation for what the dealer's supplying. That rush, that drug, that dope. Those pills, that crumb, that roach. Thinking I will never do that. Not that drug. Growing up, nobody ever does. Until you're stuck, looking in the mirror like I can't believe what I've become. So I was gonna be someone. And growing up, everyone always does. We sell our dreams and our potential to escape through that buzz. Just keep me up, keep me up. Hollywood, here we come.